Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. It's my understanding that it's been a busy week here at the ministry, whether it be over on campus or here getting into the new building. I know what it's like to have a busy week and then try to settle in to a worship service on a Sunday. And so if I could suggest one thing, and I'm, I am a pastor through and through, so if I could shepherd you just for one moment, whatever your week has been, whatever your week has been, what I would really commend to you is settling in and relaxing and saying, God, I want to absorb what you have for me. Don't get caught up in the details. Don't try to catch every single little thing writing down notes. In the flow of busyness, I find the Lord deals with me best when I sort of try to take in the landscape rather than the particular flowers themselves. I hope that makes sense. And so if that's been you, if it's been busy, just absorb what the Lord has for you today. Because we're going to be in a passage in Genesis 22, which is a singular passage in the Old Testament. It is a passage that gets more special to me every year that I walk with the Lord. Its riches are so vast. And I hope I can impart just something of it in the time that we have remaining. So let's look at Genesis 22. We're going to read down through uh, verse 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked 
And behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And we'll finish our reading there. Father, would you give us grace to know this passage even better? And speak to us the message that you would have. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want you to notice from this passage occurs right here in verse 1. It says, after these things. And if you were to look back just one chapter, you would see that in chapter 21, some monumental things had happened in Abraham's life. Several years before, he had been told to get up out of the Ur of the Chaldees and go and sojourn in the land where God would show him. He was promised that he would have a son. And as you follow Abraham's journey, you realize that though God was blessing him, though God was changing him, though God was doing so many things for him, there was yet this one promise that remained unfulfilled. And God comes to Abraham and says, you can trust me. And Abraham says, how can I, God, when I remain childless? In other words, God, you've given me everything you've said except for this one thing. God promises him again and then makes him wait a decade more and then comes back and says, this time next year, Sarah, your wife, will be bouncing a baby boy on her knee. Sarah laughed. God said, Sarah, why'd you laugh? Actually, he directed the question to Abraham. She said, I didn't laugh. Lying to the Lord is not a wise idea. And he said, yes, you did. And so in chapter one, we find out that indeed God visited. Do you guys know what the Hebrew verb for laugh is? Yitzhak. They named their child laughter. For they wanted to remind themselves of the time they laughed at the audacity of God's promise. And at the same time, the joy of laughing, of seeing God provide this long-awaited child. After Isaac comes along, God creates a parting between Isaac and Ishmael. And then, out of nowhere, the area's largest military commander, Phicol and his leader, his king, Abimelech, come to Abraham and they say, we want to make a treaty with you. And Abraham does this. And it says, just before we come to Genesis 22, that Abraham is prospering in the land and he does so for many years. His son is growing and it's as many as three decades of prosperity and blessing. And it's in this prosperity, it's in these good times that God comes to Abraham with a test. And this test is not so God will know what's in Abraham's heart, but so that he can reveal what he already knows is in Abraham's heart. And this will reveal who Abraham is. And he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I have a test for you. And let's look right here in verse 1. He says, Abraham. He said, yes. He says, here am I. Take your son. I want you to notice in this very first verse, the graduating crescendo of love 
your son, your only son, your special son. Now, was Isaac Abraham's only son? No, he had another son named Ishmael. But this was the unique son, the son of privileged position, the heir, the son whom you love. Did you know we're told in the Old Testament nowhere that Abraham loved his wife? We're sure that he did. He had a special affection and love for his son. And just in case there was any way Abraham could wriggle out of this, God gets incredibly precise and he says, take Isaac and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Now we need to talk about that word burnt offering for just a moment. We read all the time in the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus, about all sorts of offerings, don't we? We've got a burnt offering, a grain offering, a drink offering, a you name it, there's all these different offerings. What, how do we translate that? We just say the kind of thing it is, food, drink, burnt, whatever, grain, with the second word, offering. Two words. But in Hebrew, it's only ever one word, independent words. Kind of like people in Utah. You just refer to the white stuff that falls from the sky as snow. We have like seven different words for it, okay? Because... We could be referring to a very specific kind of snow. And this is the case here. And so when he uses this word, burnt offering, it's one Hebrew word. It's one major idea. If you like to write down cross-references in your Bible, you might want to write down Exodus 29.18 or Deuteronomy 13.16. Because the thing that separates burnt offerings from other offerings is that other offerings could be spared for use later. The priests could eat the bread. The Passover lamb was sacrificed and then eaten. But with the burnt offering, nothing was left. The whole animal was burned and consumed as food for the Lord these passages say. This was an offering that would be akin to going out into the middle of the ocean and throwing something in and watching it sink to the bottom of the sea. It's used. It's gone. It's a total sacrifice. And so Abraham understood that he was to take his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, laughter and have him consumed entirely in a sacrifice. And I want us to notice, secondly, our first point, if you like to take notes, was God's test. We've been covering God's test to this point. Sorry for not filling you in on my outline if you like to take such things. My second point is Abraham's faith. Let's look briefly at Abraham's faith at verse 3 it says so Abraham rose early in the morning this is a way of saying we might say it this way at Abraham's first available opportunity his obedience his faith was immediate he didn't delay he didn't waste time he didn't stall around now 
we're told that it's a three-day journey from where he was to where he was going. And a day's journey is usually about 20 miles. So he knew that he was going to be going 60 plus miles in three days. He had a long trip ahead of him. That means as soon as the Lord came to him with this request, Abraham started getting his attendance. He started getting things together. He gathered supplies for three days there, three days back, a week of journey. This is not an insignificant amount of time. Think about the amount of food you took for your last picnic. You had one meal and you were probably less than a mile from a (laughs) 7-Eleven. And you took a huge box of food. Imagine how much provision. This was something that Abraham had to get on. It was lickety split. He was absolutely earnest in his following through with what the Lord wanted him to do. And so he begins the journey and he comes to Moriah. We're going to revisit what that word means in just a little bit. He comes to the place where God has showed him. And I want us to see a couple of things. I want us to see how the narrative slows down. You know, from chapter 21 to chapter 22, we've just breezed over 30 plus years in a blink. And now in this passage, what we see is time slowing to a crawl. You can almost hear the knife coming out of its sheath. Moses is taking time to describe all the details because this is such a singular moment. And so, Abraham takes his boy and he says, we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to go up. And I want us to look. This is very important that you find this in your translations. I want you to look at verse 5, okay? We need to see the faith of Abraham. You see, in Hebrews eleven eighteen, the writer of Hebrews lets us in on it. He says that Abraham believed that God was going to raise his son from the dead. How did the writer of Hebrews know that? Was the writer of Hebrews guessing? Was he let in on some secret that maybe you weren't aware of? Actually, no. Look at, verse, look at verse 5. He says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. Now, let's pause right there. In Hebrew, the word we comes in front of this verb. We will go. We will go worship. Okay? Now, English translators tend to smooth out these meanings for the sake of brevity, and that needs to happen. But we need to read this with the we's in there so that we can see the faith of Abraham. Okay, let's keep reading this. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy, we will go over there and we will worship And we will come again. That's how it literally reads. We, the boy and I, are coming right back here. You see, on that three-day walk, Abraham had been thinking. He was a scripture-meditating man. 
And he remembered passages like Genesis 17, 19, or Genesis 21, 12, where God came to him and said, it's not going to be through a- another person. It's going to be through Isaac, through whom I'm going to bless your seed. It's through Isaac. And so the old man, the man of faith, the friend of God, had reckoned, he'd reasoned, he'd taken God's promises a step forward. And by the time they got to that mountain, he had reasoned that even if God wanted him to take the life of the boy, because of what God had promised, because of what God had said, it was going to be a temporary taking, that the word of God would stand. And God must have something for him beyond his imaginations, and it must be, it must be a resurrection. Abraham was convinced that he was going to sacrifice his boy as a burnt offering. And he was going to get to watch a resurrection on that mountain. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, we need to keep going because there's so much more here. I had already told you about the slowing narrative. The boy and Abraham go up the hill. It probably was just a hill. The word for hill can mean mountain or hill, just a rise in the ground. Go up a little bit. Isaac, who, by the way, is at least 20 years old. In fact, Jewish rabbinical tradition says that he was 37. I don't know how they would know that he's 37, but that's what they say. Either way, what we have to remember is that Abraham is not taking up a 10-year-old boy that he can pick up and move. And Abraham is well over 100 years old at this point. Abraham is 120, 130. And here he's got this strapping young man at the height of his manhood. Don't you think at any point in time, Isaac simply could have physically overwhelmed his elderly father? That brings us, of course, to verse 7, where Isaac rips out the heart of the old man. Dad, we're going up this hill and I'm observing some things. We've got the wood and and, and we've got the knife. And the, the knife was probably a family heirloom of some sort, a long decorative blade that was only used in, in ceremony and ritual. We've got, the, we've got the, the knife for killing an animal, Dad. And we've got the wood, but there's no lamb. There's no lamb. In our translations, there's a comma that probably needs to be taken out. God will provide for himself a lamb, which is my son. And Isaac understood that, and if he didn't understand it then, he understood it later. For it was Isaac who laid himself down on that pyre of wood. Now, I'm going to teach you two Hebrew words, okay? Very important, and we're going to come back to these in just a minute. Let's learn first the word for lamb, okay? Super complicated word. I don't know if you're going to be able to pronounce it. Okay, you guys ready? Seh. (laughs) See? (laughs) Everybody ready? Let's say seh on three. One, two, three. 
Seth. Okay. God says, rather, Abraham says, God will provide a Seth. God will provide a Seth, my son. The word for ram is ngayil. Can you say that with me? Ngayil. Okay, that's the word for ram. Seth and ngayil. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Abraham tells his son, buddy, (laughs) you're the sacrifice. Perhaps they had a discussion about faith and what that looks like. Perhaps they remembered God's promises together. We don't know what they talked about. But God, Abraham rather, puts his son on the wood, binds him up. He is going to be the burnt offering that God told him to make him. Abraham takes the long, decorative family heirloom knife and in full faith, believing that God was about to raise that boy from the dead, raises it up to strike his son. And when he does, just before he does, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham and Maybe I've heard a commentator say Abraham was a little hard of hearing at 137 years old. And so he went, Abraham! (laughs) Actually, I don't think that's the case. I think there's something more theological going on there. But at that moment, the moment of commitment right before Abraham was about to plunge the knife into the chest of his son, God intervenes and says, stop! Look over there. There's a, there's a, there's a ram, there's a gnayo. Now this, friends, this, friends, is one of the most amazing parts of this miracle. I like to run in the mountains of Utah, okay? One time I was running up a trail, a mountain trail, and off to my left there was an alder grove. And suddenly, out of nowhere, I heard... Crash, bang, boom, bang, sticks breaking, alders moving everywhere. And all honesty, I thought a moose is about to come charging out of that alder stuff. And I'd seen moose on that trail before. So, And moose at that time of year are very dangerous. And I'm thinking, I hope my life insurance is up to date, right? So I ran and I hid behind a tree and I'm hiding behind a tree, but I can't just hide behind the tree. I have to look. And so I'm looking and the crashing got louder. And then suddenly the crashing stopped and out popped, not a huge, big bullwinkle moose, but a tiny little Bambi deer. Uh, This little doe had gotten caught, still with speckles, had gotten caught in the alders and was flailing everywhere, came busting out of there. And I said to myself, I'm never telling anybody about this again, but here I am telling you. (laughs) It really is a miracle that that ram caught would stay so still. It was part of God's provision. But I want us to notice something from this text. Look at verse 8. Do you remember what God, what Abraham said about God? God will provide... A set. 
God will provide a set. What did God provide instead? Agnayel. He was going to provide a set. Now he provides a ram. Something different. How does Abraham interpret that? Well, let's go down and look at verse 8. Here's how Abraham interprets that. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a seth. And then Moses interjects some years later. He says, as it is written, as it is still said today, on this mountain. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse. I said verse 8. I wrote that down wrong. This is verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And then Moses interjects right there, as it is said to this day. In other words, Moses, writing more than 700 years later, is saying, we're still waiting for the set. God said he'd give one. He allowed a ram to substitute. And we're still waiting for that set. 700 years later. Now we need to move the story forward very quickly. Very, very quickly. What was it about that place? What was it? What was it about this place? Moriah. Moriah. Do you guys remember the story from Second Chronicles 21 when David numbered the people? There was a plague coming on the land, and David said, I want to fall into your hands, God. The angel of the Lord is slaying people, and he stops at the threshing floor of Ornan. And the angel of the Lord says to David through the prophet Gad, make an offering right here, right here. The same angel of the Lord that stopped the knife from plunging into Isaac's chest. Make an, make, make an offering right here. And so David bought it. He bought that little hilltop threshing floor. And according to Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, this is the exact place where Solomon built the temple. And in 2 Chronicles 3.1, we're told that that is the place called Moriah. The angel of the Lord sent Abraham to a very specific place where many hundreds of years later, the temple would be built and thousands of rams, thousands of says, millions of says would be sacrificed right there. None of them able to cleanse people. None of them able to atone for sin. Until we come to John chapter 1, verse 129. And here we hear John the Baptist saying of Jesus, Behold the Lamb, behold the set, that takes away the sins of the world. And just a few years later, the Lord Jesus Christ in that very same place, that very same, right outside that, Temple structure, same hill, same mountain, same place. That is where the lamb that God would provide would take away the sins of the world. Abraham said there's going to come a lamb that God is going to provide, and he's going to make the atonement. He's going to substitute. 
And God did provide his lamb, didn't he? And in Revelation chapter 5, 12, we're told, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. God's plan all along was to provide his lamb right there. There was a day, folks, there was a day when the father took his son to make him a burnt offering. But the angel did not stay God's hand. The father slew his son. And then there was a resurrection. And this was God's plan and purpose from before time. And God did that for you. He did that for you. Now, friends, friends, listen to me. God is able to think a trillion thoughts simultaneously without breaking a sweat. And the moment Father Abraham raised his knife to plunge it into his son's chest, God thought about you sitting here off Old White Horse Road on October 10th, 2021. Because he wanted to use this to say something to you. Seriously. The question is, what is God saying to you right now? Perhaps it's just to marvel that God's plan of redemption and atonement is so clear from start to finish in the Bible, isn't it? Or perhaps he knows that you've been holding on to something so tight your knuckles are turning white. And how can we when God has given us everything? The gospel is open-handed sacrifice. And that starts with God, and we simply follow his lead, don't we? Well, whatever it is the Lord is telling you, in a moment we're going to be taking the Lord's table, and I don't know exactly all the ways you observe it here in our church. We make it a time of contemplation and quietness, and I'm sure it's something similar here. And I trust in the quietness of this moment, you'll let the Lord continue that conversation with you. Let us pray.